a few minutes to unpack what uh, Dave just read for us in Isaiah chapter 53, just looking at the, the last section that he read, verses 10 through 12. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. If not, just, just listen. I'll be reading the passage and uh, trying to explain it some. It's a marvelous passage. In fact, it is uh, just overwhelming in its depth and beauty. The whole section here is, is set as a, as a song with uh, five verses, each, uh, each verse three lines long. So, as, and that's how Dave read them, starting in chapter 52 at verse 13. 13, 14, 15, then chapter 53, verses 1, 2, 3, then 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and then ending the song with 10, 11, and 12. So we, we're looking at the end of the song and the what you might call the bottom line, the end of the matter. Verse 10 is one of those hard verses to really understand because of the emotion of it. Isaiah writes, Yet it pleased the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. It, it pleased the Lord to crush him. We, we need to remember that it was not the Roman soldiers who put Jesus to death. They were the human instruments who who did it, but it wasn't up to them in the long run. It wasn't Pilate. It wasn't the Jewish leaders or the Jewish people who cried out, crucify him. It was God himself that, according to his predetermined plan, he crucified his son. And it, it pleased him. Other translations say here, it, it was his will to crush his son. And certainly it was his will, because uh, he only does his will. But the word really is a little bit stronger than that. It's, it, it pleased him. The same word is used later on in the, the same verse, and we'll look at that in a moment. But how in the world could it please him? Well, we look at it wrongly if we think that God took pleasure in crucifying his son. That's not what it means. It means that in the same way that Hebrews 12 says that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, endured the shame for us. For the joy that was set before him because he knew what that was going to mean, our salvation. And for God the Father to finally culminate his plan on the cross, it pleased the Lord to do that to go to the depth of crushing his own son and he has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin and that's what it was, an offering for sin. He shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days. And this again is a very curious 
phrase here, he shall see his seed, or could be translated offspring, although I like the word seed better because of how it's used in both Old Testament and New Testament theology, the idea of the seed. He shall see his seed. Now think about this. In verse 9, he made his grave with the wicked and so forth, but with the rich at his death. And God has crushed him. He's dead. And yet, Isaiah is saying, he shall see his seed. And his many days shall prosper. So this is talking about the resurrection. For him to come from death to a point where he is able to see his seed, the, his offspring, hints at least at the resurrection. So in the same verse, talk, talking about the death and also pointing to the, re, to the resurrection. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Not just the will of the Lord, but what the Lord pleases to bring about is going to prosper in his hand. That is, God's unfolding plan of redemption and his kingdom, which he is going to establish, all that is going to prosper in this crucified one's hand. Again, meaning he will have to come back to life for that to happen. Verse 11, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. I think there's a better translation of that because uh, what I'm using here, the New King James, does not account for the, uh, the Hebrew men at the beginning of the verse, which means from or out of. And uh, perhaps a better way of translating this part would be uh, out of the labor or the anguish or, the, or the, the grief of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. So even while he, his soul is being poured out as an offering, verse 10, when he makes his soul an offering for sin, so even while he's being poured out as an offering, he, out of that time, he is still going to be able to see the end result of it, what's going to happen and be satisfied. You ever wonder if you, when you do something, well, was it worth it? Was it worth paying this for that? Was it worth going through all this effort for this, to achieve this? He knew from at the cross, from out of the anguish of his soul on the cross, he saw and was satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. Now, it used to be uh, old-time commentaries and even some translations tried to, to make this um, our knowledge of him. By, in other words, by our knowledge of him, the righteous servant shall justify many. And that's a true theological statement. As we come to know him, we receive justification. But that's not what this is saying. It is by his own knowledge, 
by the knowledge of the righteous servant that he justifies many. Well, what is that knowledge? I think that if you look back at verse 10 where it says, when you make his soul an offering for sin, a, a sin offering in the book of Leviticus, chapters 5 and 6 especially, goes through great detail about what kind of sacrifices had to be offered in what way and what timing depending on the sin. So this guilt offering or the offering for sin was very specific in its details. And by his knowledge, the righteous servant knew exactly what it would take to pay for our sin. He knew all the depth of the sin, all the multitude of the sin, and exactly what the requirement was, and he met that. He knew by his knowledge, my righteous servant, my servant who is the righteous one, shall justify many. Because, or for, he shall bear their iniquities. And you have this contrast then, the righteous servant and the ones with the iniquities of sin. And he justifies them. He bears their sin. He justifies them. As 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that, that uh, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The perfect, spotless, holy Lamb bears our iniquities. And then, finally, verse 12. Therefore, I will divide Him a portion with the great, and He shall divide the spoil with the strong. I think we should understand the therefore at the heading of this verse to be very much akin to the therefore we find in Philippians 2.9. If you remember back to Philippians 2 verse 5 through 8 where it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to uh, be like God, but he humbled himself and he took on the form of a servant and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now verse 8 ends, and verse 9 says, Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. So because of the self-humbling of the Christ, God the Father has exalted him. It's exactly the same thing that's going on here. Because of the, the humbling of the servant, of the Lord here in Isaiah 53. Therefore, the I here now is, is God talking. Therefore, I will. God is going to exalt the sacrificial lamb. He says, Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. And that, that's a, a hard uh, sentence there to understand as well. 
What is he getting at here? Well, first of all, if we consider that he's using victor language. He's, he's using common language of the day of, of a victor getting his spoil. He, he gets the first fruits of all the spoil and then he divides it with those who are with him. So the, the overarching idea is that Jesus Christ is the victor and we get the fruit of his victory. But I think there's something a little bit more going on here as well. If you hold your place here and go to John chapter 6, verse 37. John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Every single person, all of them, excepting none, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. That is the victor's spoil. What does he get? Well, yes, he's going to get a crown and he's going to reign, but he gets us. We are the victor's spoil. And I think back in Isaiah 53, that's the, um, what the victor is getting here. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the, the great. Um, the, the word here, great, is not like gadol, which means mighty great but it's the word rav which just means many in fact we've seen that exact same word in verse 11 where it says by his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many it's the same word that I think most translations have as great therefore I will divide him a portion should be with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong and the word strong there really means numerous. It would be a word you would, you would use back then, like if you saw an army that was just innumerable, you would say that's a strong army. And so I think really it has more to do with uh, numerical evaluation than uh, anything else. These are not great and mighty people. First uh, Corinthians 1, you see your calling, brethren, that not many noble, not many mighty according to the world and so forth. So this is not saying something other than that. This is agreeing with that. It's just that there are many. And those, the reason for bringing out the many, because he's already talked about, that by his sacrifice, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquity. And he, um, he will be able to do this because of four great foundational truths here. Because, then he lists four reasons why he is victorious. Because he poured out his soul to death, first of all. He poured out his soul. It wasn't taken from him, as he said in John 10, no man takes my life from me. The good shepherd lays down his life of his own. He poured out his soul 
like a, like a drink offering. He poured out his soul unto death. Second reason, he was numbered with the transgressors. He was numbered. That passive there could actually be reflective, meaning he, he allowed himself to be numbered with the transgressors. And of course, that was a fulfilled in prophecy, wasn't it, when Jesus was nailed between two thieves. He bore the sin of many. Again, that same word, Rav. This is the third time that's been used in two verses to point again to his bearing the sin of, of those who will come to be his bride, his children. So that's the third. And then the fourth is this. And he made intercession for the transgressor, transgressors. Um, literally it's for transgress, transgressor, transgressors intercession he made and the verse the song ends with that word made now that particular word made is the same word we find back in verse 6 all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned every one to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's translated laid in verse 6. And it means something like um, to, to cause to come together or to cause to meet or to cause to land on him. So, and the Lord has caused to meet on him the iniquity of us all. If you could kind of picture Christ as being a magnet and all the sin of the world being darts, iron darts that are just being attracted to that. God is causing all the sin to, to come together at that one spot. And that's the same word that the chapter and the song ends with. For those transgressors, he made intercession. He interceded by making by causing all that, all that sin to come upon himself. He absorbed every dart, every sin. These last six verses from 7 to 10 um, speak of opposite truths. They're in contrast one to another and in backwards so verse 9 and 10 are a couplet they go together 9 talks about he is dead 10 talks about he is alive he shall see his seed and so forth 9 the servant is dead 10 he is alive if you go back another verse 8 the condemned of verse 8 is the justified the righteous one of verse 11 if you go out another couplet yet verse 7 he is the helpless one he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened out his mouth like a lamb to the slaughter he he was helpless in verse 7 and but in verse 12 he is the victor and so at the same time that we commemorate the fact that our lord was the sacrificial lamb 
the, the Passover lamb sacrificed for us, we commemorate that. We also celebrate that at the same time he is the victor. He is the coming king. And he won victory over death for us. Let's pray. Lord, we are amazed at such love that you, our holy God, the creator of all, would come to this earth, be humiliated by man, humble yourself, and die on a cross for us. Lord, as we contemplate these things in our heart, and all that that means. Lord, give us a renewed understanding of the depth of your sacrifice and of the breadth of your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And you are dismissed. I will see you resurrection morning.